You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Good morning, Rise and Freedom. I'm Austin Peterson. You're watching and listening to the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. Glad to have you here. Thanks so much for tuning in. Fight back against big tech social media censorship of news and views like these by clicking that like button. And if it's your first time watching the show today, make sure that you subscribe to the channel so that you can get updates whenever we go live. It's not a promise you'll get updates because sometimes social media is like, no, we're not going to alert your followers. So what can you do? Well, just remember, every Monday through Friday, the Wake Up America show streams live from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. Central Time. So set an appointment on your calendar. Come back and join us five days a week. It's a great way to stay updated on all the world events that you can use. These days, I have really been smitten. Smitten with Vivek. Cupid's arrow has found its way to my heart for a young Indian man running for president of the United States. I don't know. He gives me really strong AP for Liberty vibes or, you know, AP for LP 2016 vibes. But uh, not everybody is so smitten with Vivek Ramaswamy. As a matter of fact, a lot of people who share my same philosophy and ideology are a little bit more skeptical of him. So, I need somebody to come in here and slap me around a little bit and shake some sense into me. That's why I brought my friend Chris Spangle from The Chris Spangle Show on with me right now. Good morning, Chris. How you doing, brother? Austin, how does somebody look so handsome this early in the morning? You know how? Founding Flavors Coffee brought to you by oh, AP I'm sorry. Liberty I, Shop. I meant me, but it's oh. a- <laughs> how, how are you doing? <laughs> Dude, you made me fall out of my chair. Uh, doing great, man. Thanks so much for tuning, uh, for joining us this morning, Chris. I know it's early, but I, I'm grateful for that. You and I have been through the shit, uh, Chris. We've been in the trenches together a long time. Uh, you were one of the first people that I spoke to when I started my political career back in 2008. Reached out to you. I remember on the, I was sitting in the Watergate Hotel <laughs> in 2008. In that horrible I, office at the LP. <laughs> But to me, it was incredible. I was in my, you know, my mid 20s and it was my first political job. And I, you know, I had health insurance. And to me, it was just a dream come true. But I remember speaking to you back in the day about what we could do to help make liberty win. And here we are now in 2023. What about 15 years later? And it plan didn't didn't work out quite as we planned (laughs) oh it's worked out better for me than i thought but yeah no i mean the yeah there's liberty at the time was you had to explain what a libertarian was you don't have to do that anymore so i think there's there's a lot of things that are good and then there are a lot of things that are rough both in the libertarian world and then also the regular world well, yeah, exactly, because we are sort of in our own little world there. And I, I do want to talk to you about the libertarian movement in a little bit more details later. But let's get to the news here. You and I watched the same debate, but maybe we saw kind of sort of different things. Let's just talk about the Indian in the room. Vivek Ramaswamy says he's going to declare war on the administrative state, says that not, not a single more penny to Ukraine, uh, calls out uh, DeSantis for flip-flopping on issues, says he wants to decriminalize ayahuasca and, and other uh, hard drugs and things like that so that veterans can use them. I mean, maybe not a perfect libertarian, but certainly the most libertarian out of all the GOP candidates at this point. Am I wrong? No, I, I think good radio would be to argue with you, but I think all of those things are, are absolutely good. And like, if you're saying who's the most libertarian uh, by virtue of who wants the least amount of government or at least wants to shrink the size of government, I think Vivek would win on that stage. Um, you know, the, 
the other Indian in the room, Nikki Haley, I don't think has <laughs> the same goals. Uh, you know, she she at least understands the Tenth Amendment when it comes to things like abortion, unlike Mike Pence. Um, you, you know, and kudos to the Republicans, by the way. I don't know if you've seen any articles. I haven't about how diverse the, that stage was compared to the 2020 Democratic primary, which was not diverse. Uh, but I think with Ramaswamy, uh, Vivek, as I'll call him, because I, I'm, I'm not good at pronouncing names that aren't uh, anglicized, because I'm uh, backwoods. Hoosier. It's Vivek like cake. Okay. Uh, you know, I think you have to have a wait-and-see attitude. I don't think that Vivek is someone that is uh, tested. I think he is a very successful person in his own right. I think people want to kind of cast doubt on his career and say, uh, I've seen a lot of Trump-centric people say, oh, well, he's not, you know, he's like Trump. He's kind of a charlatan in business. He says he's a scientist, but he's really not. But he has a legitimate business career that he's coming off of. But he he really doesn't have much of a political career. You know, he was a libertarian rapper, Davek, back at Harvard. Uh, you know, he... Um, it, it is always funny to kind of see these guys who are super elites who are billionaires from Harvard and Yale pretend to be the the, the for the little guy, right? Um, salt of the earth. Yes. Right, just a salt of the earth uh, Indian from Columbus, Ohio. Um, so I, I think, you know, he voted Libertarian in 04 for Bob Barr. So that may be a problem for some people, not for me, but then kind of fell out of political favor, hasn't really voted until 2020, and then decided he was a big Trump fan. And I think he's kind of a great microcosm of, like, the post-Trump libertarian. You know, people who kind of became interested in liberty back during Ron Paul's era, like you and I, I think have a stronger sense of political philosophy than maybe people who kind of were activated post-2016. You know, there there was a lot less uh, political philosophy and uh, talk of Hayek and Mises post-2016, more making the libs cry, and, you know, looking at Liberty memes in their thread today of 639 memes that I could farm, there's like one limited government meme and 700 conspiracy and racist memes. Like, and I think that's sort of, <laughs> you know, a, a guy like Vivek who comes along and says, look, I want to be president, I think I have the talent, I think I have the resume, I want to inherit the Trump movement. Uh, you know, has kind of that carnival barker feel like Trump can hit all the right notes. I think he's really identified what people want to hear, but I don't know that, like Ron Paul, he has the record yet to be trusted with it. If you're just tuning into the Wake Up America show, good morning. I'm Austin Peterson. We're glad to have you here. Make sure that you click like on the channel. Help us fight back against big tech censorship of shows like these. And subscribe to the channel if it's your first time watching us here this morning. We're glad to have a nice audience size here with us between Rumble and YouTube, Apple TV, Fire TV, and Roku. We hope you'll come back and join us again another morning as well. I'm speaking to Chris Spangle of The Chris Spangle Show. He and I go way back in the Liberty Movement, and he's got his own show and podcast as well. Chris, you say that you watched the debate three times, and you sent me a little pukey face uh, <laughs> next to that. You say, in a lot of ways, this was an actual policy debate after the first 30 minutes, but the antics in the beginning shaded the whole thing. What do you mean? Yeah, so I went in blind, but I haven't followed political, pol you know, any of the presidential politics at all. I didn't really know a lot about uh, Vivek. Uh, how do you say it? Am I saying Vivek like Vivek. cake? Vivek. Okay, excuse me. My two-hour podcast about the debate, I got it completely wrong. Vivek, uh, I, I initially couldn't stand him. 
and I still don't like his style. Uh, but after watching it the second time, you you started to notice, okay, this is strategy. This is debate strategy uh, that Pence is doing too. In a lot of ways, Vivek and Pence are very much alike. Uh, they're very skilled politicians. They're very skilled on messaging. Mike Pence was a radio talk show host from here in my hometown. I work in the building he used to work in. Um, he is very skilled at debating, and he knows the rules inside and out. And what the two of them would do is invoke another opponent at the end of their statement, where Vivek would like talk under people at the end of their statement in order to provoke them into saying his name so that they could then get more time. They would get 30 seconds, which is why Pence and then Vivek got, you know, Pence had twice the amount of speaking time that Asa Hutchinson did. All of that is really exciting for the clips. You know, the reality of these debates is that the important part is the first 30 minutes because that's what the media watches, and then they spend the last 90 minutes writing their stories. Or people tune in at 9 o'clock and decide about 9.45, 10 o'clock, they're going to go to bed, they've heard enough, and they tune out, right? So, you know, when you're asked the first question of, what is your uh, plan to solve inflation? And then they go with their pre-canned opening statements. Fox should have just given them opening statements because they ignored all the questions in the first 30 minutes, tried to get in their mudslinging. But then if you watch the second half of the debate, things like abortion, which is what they spent the most time on, that was an actual policy debate. You know, you had Nikki Haley saying, look, we have to come to some consensus. Like Nikki Haley's strategy very much for this debate was to get anyone who wasn't a hardcore Trump supporter, who was a soft R, maybe a centrist, to kind of like her. I'm going to start out swinging at the Republicans, rightly saying they're big spenders. I'm going to actually answer questions about climate change. I'm going to have kind of a, a softer answer on abortion that uh, is more favorable towards women. You know, and then you had Mike Pence saying consensus is the opposite of leadership. We need a federal ban on it. Then you had Doug Burgum pulling out his Cato pocket constitution, reminding people about the 10th Amendment. You know, then when they get to crime, they had a multitude of different answers on how they would solve crime that weren't canned answers. So, you know, like Vivek kind of kept saying, well, if your super PAC talking points aren't done, you know, which Pence undermined him and said, is that your rehearsed line? Which sort of like illustrated the point that he had his own illustrate, you know, his own rehearsed lines. They they really kind of had an actual policy debate without Trump being there. You were able to talk about issues of substance, and it wasn't just kind of mean tweets the whole time. So, I think there was a lot there for Republicans to decide. Like, what's the future of the party? Are we going to still be the party of the Constitution, or is that just going to continue to be a punchline? Which is. Really, I think some of my biggest beef with Vivek is, yeah, he was the most limited government of all of those people. But when you dig into his plans, he wants to use executive authority that far exceeds what Barack Obama did in terms of going after a lot of different pieces. He His tariff plans are off the charts. They make Donald Trump weep. You know, saying that you want every person to pass a constitutional exam to vote at the age of 25, unless you're in a special protected class because you served in the military, then you can vote at 18. Like, it, okay, it, but that's tempting. That's tempting. <laughs> no, it's that's not tempting, tempting because if you live under the <laughs> if you live under the authority of the government, you should have the free participation of voting in who your leadership is. 
Like that's uh, I I would love to see like the amendment that said direct election of senators removed and go back to the states to you know increase the power of the the institutions of political parties because I thought that was a good check and balance. But that's for another day, right? So I'm not a okay. I'm not a Democrat as a small D, but. You know, uh, uh, and then invading Mexico is just batshit insane. Like, we'll we'll get into that. Um, I I want to hear your take. You say that you think it was a mistake for Donald Trump to skip the debate. Yeah, I don't I don't know about your feed, but you know, I live in Indiana. My my feed is mostly libertarians, talk radio people, and high school friends from a deep red town. Uh, you know, and I asked the twenty people that are involved in We Are Libertarians. You know, what are you guys seeing? Did you see anybody talking about the Trump debate? Uh, the Trump conversation with Tucker Carlson. And I know it got 200 million or whatever, right? But like I counted as a view and I never consumed more than three seconds of that thing. You know, it, it just because 300 million people see something on Twitter doesn't mean that they actually watched it. It's, it's gamed. So there's a large view count. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if Elon has kind of gamed Tucker's Twitter to be a one second view count, right? Um, but he got $7 million raised from his mugshot. Yeah, right. I mean, well, this is the brilliance of Trump. Like, Trump's ability to control the narrative is v- wildly shrinking, right? So, he, you know, he used to be able to get himself in trouble and then throw out a tweet on a different topic that would then throw the ball for the media dog to chase, right? They'd go after that squirrel. He doesn't really have that ability. But I did think it was really smart counter-programming, not the Tucker part, but to turn himself in the day after, which completely undercut all of his opponents, right? So uh, Trump, I think, should have been on the stage. You know, when you look at the the polling, uh, the vast majority of Republican voters said it would be a mistake for a candidate to miss the debate, that they would not view a candidate favorably for doing that. Then when they asked if Donald Trump skipped the debate, would you have a problem with it? They, of course, all said, oh, that's no problem. Donald can do what he wants. But I think he he missed an opportunity to um, show Donald Trump can't win on Donald Trump voters. He lost 2020 because of Donald Trump voters. He lost an easy election against an old man in his basement who wasn't doing anything because he was kind of crazy and people were tired of the circus, right? So the new Donald Trump in this campaign has largely been policy speeches and trying to show that he actually has some ideas. They're all crazy, like... 10% 10% tariff on the entire economy and uh, lack of due process for executing drug dealers, stuff I totally disagree with. But if you want to win that other 70,000, 100,000 people in states that you need to actually beat Joe Biden again, you're you're going to have to show that you have some vision beyond, I'm, I'm the victim here, right? Like, because at the fundamentally, at the end of the day, the, the right, uh, in its totality, has been raised on being a victim is bad, right? You and I, oh, oh, Al Sharpton's horrible because he's just a perpetual victim and professional victim. So it's interesting to see them all kind of fall for that with Trump. But I think Trump, if he wants to actually beat Joe Biden, he can't just count on how bad Joe Biden is. You know, uh, he's got to actually show some metal. And I don't think anybody really, I never saw anybody talking about Trump's stuff with Tucker. They love him because he's funny. And that's sort of my thing with Vivek. If you're like, you're, if you're Trump, but 30 years younger, like, why are you running? What's the point of you running? We've already got a Trump and he's way funnier. 
He's at least entertaining. Right? Well, some people think he's going either for VP or maybe some kind of like cabinet role, in which case he's probably doing a good job at that. But let me just reset real quick. If you're just tuning into the Wake Up America show, good morning. I'm your host, Austin Peterson. Glad to have you here. Appreciate you tuning in live, getting up bright and early with us today. I'm speaking to Chris Spangle. He is the host of the Chris Spangle show. He's joining us live right now to give his view on the GOP debate from last week. The last point here that I think is really interesting from you on this one is that a, a lot of DeSantis supporters are posting polls saying that he won the debate and that now he's surging and that this is DeSantis's time. Uh, I don't see it, Chris. Do you? <laughs> I don't. I mean, I think he Scott Walker himself, to be honest. I mean, Scott Walker in 2016 looked inevitable. And then, you know, this what you have to remember about this stuff, right? Uh, you know, in 2008, I covered all the presidential candidates except John McCain here in Indianapolis. And I remember uh, Mike Huckabee walking in, shaking the hands of everyone in the room, giving this amazing speech, talking about the fair tax and vision and values. And I remember saying to my radio host partner, Abdul, this guy's going to be the next big thing. And he was. He had a really big moment after uh, the next debate because he he just he seemed like really likable. I was not a, a, a libertarian yet. I liked Mike Huckabee then. You know, Mitt Romney was like a robot. You know, Fred Thompson at that point was the front runner. And he showed up to this thing at this Midwest thing and just crapped the bed. And it was obviously he was on the way down. <laughs> right. You know, you remember Herman Cain and 999 and oh, my gosh libertarians to a lesser extent but conservatives especially have this fatal flaw of wanting because they're not popular and because they're not generally liked by you know some people revel in that but for a lot of people that is a psychic wound and so if chuck norris says nice things about us we're going to you know put him on every stage possible right he's going to be the next big thing oh my gosh Kyle Rittenhouse. Let's you know that's what I think is interesting about Oliver Anthony is he's not buying into the the big con complex right and and selling out and he could uh, and they're offering him like it's like <laughs> Satan and you know offering Jesus like bow down to me and I will give you all of these kingdoms right and DeSantis I think had that moment where you know he's he's despised by the media. But let's be honest, I know we're talking about should we get masks and vaccines again, but for most people, you know, COVID in 2020 is not even in their top 10 of concerns. You know, if you were to talk to most people, they want to move on and they want to forget. And I know that our very online, you know, you know, myself, you listeners, right, we, we don't live in that world, right? But uh, people kind of don't want to remember that. And that's kind of the best thing about DeSantis is that he stood up to the big complex, whereas Donald Trump handed the government over to Fauci, passed two stimulus bills, was mad that the third wasn't bigger than what Pelosi wrote, right? Like, it's, you know, he's got credibility in a way that like a Vivek or even Trump don't have and that he's been effective as governor in Florida whether you agree with those policies or not, and there's a lot about what he's done that I don't disagree that I don't disagree with and do disagree with, but he's actually like tested, right? And so I wonder if there's just a level of like, all right, this guy showed up to the debate and he was competent. He's got a record. We can trust him because he's actually like, yeah, he's feeding me the BS lines like Pence does, but like he's not as fake as Pence. Um, and, and so I wonder if maybe there's like a settling that he's just the, the second choice 
because we we can trust him a little bit. But I thought in the debate performance he was nowhere. Uh, he you know he got the the perfect tee up. Fox News clearly wanted him to win the debate. You know, here's Oliver Anthony, and here's a reel about how bad the economy is. And what do you think, Ron DeSantis? And then he just like meanders through his talking points instead of like connecting and feeling your pain. And you know, I, I understand how hard it is. I'm a dad of two or three. Uh, you know, my wife's got cancer. We're feeling this. You know, he just the problem with Ron DeSantis is he's kind of not a person. You know, he if the day after he rebooted his campaign, he's at the some Iowa thing with a beer. And he's like, <laughs> you know, being all weird. And it was like a very Elizabeth Warren type moment with a beer, right? He's just, he's not a good personal politician like Bill Clinton or Barack Obama or even Trump. I think Trump connects with people on like a human level where you sort of just like him as a comedian. I like him as a comedian. I think everything else about him is pretty much awful. But, you know, I think that's big DeSantis's biggest uh, problem. But I think, think about like your, but think about like your conservative aunt who like smokes Paul Malls, who like, you know, li- lives in. I won't say you know. I'm not saying this derogatively, but you know, lives in the trailer park and loves it. Right, has right. a really nice trailer, and and she, you know, maybe she has a pet gecko in an aquarium or something, and she looks at Donald Trump and is like, "That is a man." Like, right. you know what I mean? It's kind of like it's kind of like the people who like Vladimir Putin when he's on, like riding on the back of the horse shirtless. You know, yeah. they're just. There's like a certain there's a demographic of people that like that kind of like resonates with, you know, that like older kind of like beefy, you know, caked up strong man who, you know, get, you know, sort of makes him excited. Like you want you want to have a beer and a Pall Mall with right at the bar. Like Trump is the kind of guy that would be the guy that everybody be surrounded, surrounding him and listen to him tell stories and laugh. You look at his mugshot and say he's hard. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Well, we've only got a few more minutes left with you, Chris, so I could probably monopolize your entire time this morning if I wanted to, because I know that you're a good guy and, and you're very generous with your time, but I want to be kind to you. So do me a favor here and, and fill me in uh, on the Libertarian Party, because that's where you and I grew up. That's where we began. And Dave Smith was going to be the likely nominee of this party. I think it looks like it's in shambles over there now that he's kind of stepped down and said he's not going to run. Love him or hate him. He was kind of like head of the Mises caucus, you know, the the most high profile of all libertarians these days, you know, going on Joe Rogan and doing these comedy shows and stuff like that. He's got, you know, again, I got a lot of name ID out there, huge social media following, you know, and he goes, you know, when you go on Joe Rogan, I, I consider that you know, more than just kind of online fame, even if it's a podcast, because it's just so big, right? The biggest show in the world. So what is the LP going to do? I mean, when I look at the candidates they have right now, I mean, there's a couple of people that I know that are friends of mine that I like, but it just seems pointless. What do you think? (laughs) Well, that's why I haven't really been in the Libertarian Party for a decade. (laughs) Um, You know, my own journey, I was, I joined, I was a reporter and I saw you know, I was a Republican and I worked for a talk radio station and I knew Democrats were bad, right? And I'd go to all these meetings and cover meetings and city government and all that. And uh, I would just see, oh, wow, both sides kind of suck and the media's in on it. And then, you know, in 2008, I'm at the Indiana Republican Convention and 300 Ron Paul delegates get kicked out illegally, you know, which just woman came up to me crying going, you can't believe what they've done to us. And you you just go, all right, well, these guys aren't going to let you change it. And so, uh, and I see why people think Donald Trump getting arrested and being held 
the day, be- you know, his trial the day before primary. They, they all buy that that's like the deep state going after him. I, I get why they think that because of the behavior of the Republican Party. Um, and so I joined the Libertarian Party because I believed mostly in a third party. I wasn't necess- I was libertarianish, but I didn't fully understand the libertarian philosophy. Um, and you know, I, I have over time and believe that it is the best way to peace and prosperity and bringing people together under harmonious circumstances and and l- l- putting food on your table and keeping you from invading Mexico because you're afraid, right? Um, but the party is the best social club I've ever been a part of. I love all of my friends that I've met from the Libertarian Party like you, Same. all the people here, my best friends all come from the Libertarian Party that have been co-hosts of my podcast for 15 years or 12, 10 years, how long have I been doing it? Um, and so I think it's a great group to gather around a philosophy and go out and canvas and do some political activity and make some influence on your fellow candidates like Mike Pence when... You know, I, I did the debate prep for Rupert against him, and, you know, Mike stole one of Rupert's ideas about uh, trade, adding trades to high schools and implemented it, and that came directly from thieving Rupert's idea, right? And that's great. Um, but I think in terms of its political impact, my, my kind of holy cow moment was doing this podcast locally called Leaders and Legends, where we go out and interview all the elites, the political sports news elites of town right every genre right and being probably the best known libertarian in the state other than maybe rupert or don rainwater uh nobody really knew anything about what we did or what we said or what impact there wasn't much of an impact and it's been pretty clear over four four and a half years that there wasn't much impact from from the 40 50 years that the most and I will say this with pride, and it is absolutely true. Indiana is the best affiliate, the most organized, the the one that has had its crap together the longest because of long-serving people for 30 years who are institutional knowledge. Um, it's, it's not made a huge impact. So what's the point of doing that? And I hate saying it, but I have to be honest with you. If you want to go into it, do it because you want to get to know great people that believe the same thing as you, but be very clear-eyed about the kind of impact that you're going to make in your campaign, you know? And I didn't believe this in 08 when I took the job, but I do believe it now. The LP is a great way to wake people up to the message of libertarianism, and it ought to be a pure libertarian message. Um, because if it's not, you end up with people kind of thinking that Avivek is a libertarian. He's libertarian-ish. He believes in a lot of libertarian ideas. But when you aren't someone who fully understands the libertarian message, and I know you may quibble with the nap, but I, I think it's sacrosanct. I think it's a perfect guide to hold people accountable in kind of their policies, you end up drifting. You end up kind of saying, well, libertarian means that you should have uh, the closed borders with massive amounts of guns and restrict free movement, which is a completely opposite stance to what libertarianism is. You you know, I'm not saying that there's no true Scotsman. I'm still a pragmatist at heart. Like, you still... In this day and age, if you run for office, win, and serve in government, you can't be a libertarian. Like, there's no way to be a pure libertarian and make that kind of change. But um, I think the Mises movement came in with some promise. The libertarian movement 
uh, was fractured for a long time after 88 when Ron Paul decided, after 92, really, when Ron Paul decided F the LP along with Rothbard. And, you know, it was very difficult from two you know, 08 to 12 when I was there because you couldn't get any Ron Paulers to support any LP candidates. They just wouldn't do it. And they were really awful about it. So when the Mises movement kind of came in and said, let's blend these two together and fight together, I was like, awesome. But the the leadership was so incompetent and so uh, hostile to any form of institutional knowledge and such demagogues that you knew that this was going to be the end result. Because you can't drive out the people who have been there for 20, 30, 40 years that have put, you know, their personal car collections on the line to buy the asset of the building like Jim Lark did uh, and and drive those people out because they're not your type of libertarian and expect to succeed. Because the people who came in being told by the messengers, we're going to just kill this. This is an inevitable victory. It's like... Well, you don't know what you're in for then. You haven't ever run a campaign. So what what would you know about running an LP campaign when you've never done it? So to read their leaked memos of like, did we really just all take this over for the Twitter? Um, I love it because I went on Dave Smith's show and said, look, you guys are inexperienced. You don't know what you're doing and you're going to fuck it up if you don't actually do these things. I don't agree. Okay. Good luck. And so why would Dave Smith want to run when you've got a party that isn't going to get 50 state ballot access, that isn't going to uh, embrace your candidacy, that's going to have most of the active members completely defect from voting for you to vote for Donald Trump because they're so scared of the left. You created your own problem. Why would you want to run? Uh, I don't blame him at all. I think, why would you take a pay cut? Why would you take all that abuse? It's it's the right move. As to who they run, I don't know. But there's either a lot of rebuilding, or I think the way that it goes is just sort of fades into being a Green Party where there's two or three or four active affiliates and you know maybe some strong little pockets. But I saw this over the last 20 years. Like, people just aren't as into political parties. They're, they're about embracing candidates they agree with. So, so yeah, that's, that's kind of my assessment of it. it. Failure was inevitable if you had any kind of knowledge about how the LP works, how politics works. And they didn't. They didn't want to learn. And their own lack of humility is what sowed their fate. Interesting point of view, and one that could only come from someone who has a lot of political experience in that arena. Chris Spangle, anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners or anything you'd like to plug before we let you go, Chris? Uh, so, yeah, check out the Chris Spangle Show. Uh, you can find all the We Are Libertarians podcasts, including our great friend Brian Nichols, uh, who is a big VVAC fan, uh, and just did an episode on it. So check that out. And, yeah, I'll have uh, a big opportunity on television coming soon. So stay tuned. Follow me on social media to find that out. Oh, boy. We're excited about that, Chris. We'll keep an eye on it and let us know when that happens and drops. We'll have you back on the show so you can promote it. All right. Great. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Chris. Have a good one. Thank you very much. What do you think of Chris Spangle? Send us a text at 503-228-1111. 